0: Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. His name is Bob Wheeler, and he helps listeners conquer their money shame and avoid making poor financial decisions by teaching how emotions can dictate their choices. As a man of true integrity and infectious energy, Bob crusades for personal growth and has cross-pollinated with accounting, his accounting practice to create a new approach to personal finances. His passion is to help others gain insights about how their emotions trigger financial decisions combining finances with behaviors, Bob explores his personal concept of creating a healthy relationship with money in his new book called The Money Nerve. Welcome, Bob. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great. So excited and happy to be here today. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about your book and what you're trying to do about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote the book, The Money Nerve, after Realizing that a lot of my clients were going out and doing the exact opposite of what sounded like sound practical advice. Uh, a lot of my friends are the creative types as well. Uh, I'm a CFO at the comedy store and I've been a comic for years. And my comic friends were talking about their shame around their choice of picking passion over profit. And putting that together with my own struggles around money, even though I was a CPA, I just realized so many people have so many unconscious decisions that they make every day around money and that there seemed to be a lot of shame and isolation around those choices and lack of information. And so I wanted to write this book so that people could talk openly about finances, personal finances, what they know, what they don't know. And really help people to know that they're not alone in it, that we all at times struggle with our finances.
0: Let's talk a little bit about those choices, Bob, and what people should start to change about themselves so that they can get a healthier relationship.
1: Yes. So for me, it's starting to understand and be aware of our beliefs and our stories So a a prime example of that is I have so many clients that will say, oh, I'm so broke. We're so broke today. We're so broke. I don't have any money. And then I can point out to them that they own two houses, that they've got half a million dollars in their 401k, and they just took a trip to Paris, and that maybe they're not actually broke. They just might be uh, not cash cash positive at the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And learning to reframe what we say is our story. And and so there's so many places where we just get into these stories. I'm broke. I can't have that. Only rich people get that. Everybody but me is able to get ahead. And so if we can start to learn and become aware of those, we can then shift our mindset, pick up the pattern, and 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 pick a new course.
0: Okay, that, that, that's huge. So the basic thing is this is this uh, dialogue we have with ourselves the dialogue that goes in our scalp, uh, the dialogue that we talk to ourselves day in and day out. Is that not right, Pop?
1: Absolutely. And it's a powerful voice. We sometimes say that it's our mom and our dad and this and that, but ultimately we may have disguised our own voice as our parents. um, But at a a certain point, it's us. We're making the choices.
0: Do do we take on the values of our parents in, in some of these things?
1: Well, I think we certainly do. I... You know, I studied this guy, Bob Hoffman, who had a belief that every relationship we have going forward actually comes back to the original relationship of mom or dad. We either want to do things in support of them or in defiance of them. And so a lot of times we do things that don't serve us so that we can show mom and dad that we agree with them.
0: Oh, interesting. And and then we then develop other relationships with the world. And and it's those relationships that we we act out on. So let's talk a little bit about those relationships too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So then we we go into other relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship and now you're just like my mom, you're just like my dad. You, you know, you're a spender, you don't think things through and then we start to put things on other people that might just be something that They might just be a spender. It's not that they're just like mom or just like dad, but we're going to look for things that are comfortable or at least familiar and repeat until we work through it.
0: Okay. So what else do you tell us in your book? What else should the listener uh, be aware of so that they can grow in the financial sphere?
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. It's really important to be aware of the words we use like I was saying, I'm broke, I'm broke versus reframing. It might be uh, a lot of people use the word, but B-U-T. I want to make more money, but I'm not capable. And I really like replacing that word with and. I'm really afraid of financial uh, literacy and I'm working through it anyway. And and letting both be true, the fear and the desire to move past it. Um, So that's a really important thing. Getting really conscious about how we spend our money. So I say I want to save up for a house. I say I want to save for retirement. And yet I'm going out and I'm spending money on drinks, on a fancy new car, and I'm making choices that don't serve my long-term values or my long-term goals and to start to get more in integrity. So when I'm spending that money, I can say, yeah, this actually serves towards my abundance, my happiness, uh, or, or whatever it might be that I'm saying I want.
0: Has, has COVID helped people reevaluate themselves in these spheres?
1: Absolutely. When COVID first hit, a lot of my clients called up and in, in a panic, "Oh my God, we're going to go, we're going to go bankrupt. We're going to lose everything." About six months in, a lot of my clients were saying, "Oh my gosh, I have more money. I'm not going out to restaurants five nights a week. Uh, I'm actually." getting to know these little kids called children in my house that I didn't really know that well. And so it's really made people, I think, be forced to, to figure out what's important and what's not. And, and pe- spouses are having to spend time with each other when they got to, in the past, just go to work and avoid certain conversations. So I think it's really amplified a lot of things for people. Are
0: those good things? a <laughs> great respect or or has it turned out to be a bad thing?
1: well, I think in the long run it's always a good thing, even when you find the bad stuff um but I definitely think there there are certainly relationships have ended because things have been amplified, and I think other relationships have been tightened and 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 enhanced in either way, I think it's great information to have to do a lot of self-reflecting, even if it wasn't necessarily by choice.
0: Yes. Reflecting is part of this. And, and that's how you... So are there some schemas or tech, techniques that you advocate for people to to start this reflection process?
1: Absolutely. So I'm a big believer in journaling uh, as, a, as a way to start. Now, it's not for everybody, but I do find there is power in writing things down. I a couple of things figure out my history. What's my story? Uh, was I the rich kid? Was I the poor kid? Was I the one in having hand-me-down clothes? What are the stories I created around that? And then starting to write down, what did mom, dad say about money? What did they not say about money? What did they model? What did I pick up on that? What were some of my first money experiences? Were they positive or negative? Did I lose the milk money? Um, all those things that we took on when we were four or five and six. If we start journaling that down and start becoming aware, we can really connect with, oh, that's where that comes from. And so then we can really, we don't have to shame ourselves. We don't have to judge ourselves. We can just say, oh, isn't that interesting? So I think a bit of curiosity is really important in this, that we be very kind to ourselves as we start to explore our history and really start just journaling it and, and, and getting really clear about where we've been, the stories that have kept us there, and whether or not they serve us, and if we want to move in a different direction.
0: That's important. So journaling is one. Is there a second or a third you'd like to talk
1: about? The other thing is, I think it's important to find advocates and and support. So if you're wanting to learn about your money history, find a friend uh, or a spouse or a family member, and actually do this together. So you've got somebody, an an accountability buddy that can call you out on your stuff when you're saying, oh, I always save my money. Like, no, you don't. (laughs) You just did this the other day, right? Or call them out on their reframes when they're, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke. Well, actually, are you broke? And so being accountable to another person is a really great way to do that. Uh, It's important, I think, to find allies, If you don't know a lot about finances, reach out to a financial advisor or somebody that's good with money. Um, Sometimes that's not your family (laughs) Uh, and and start to get informed. A lot of people don't want to do the reading. So listen to an audio book, watch a video. There's a lot of great information out there and there are great resources to start to educate yourself.
0: I mean, that's huge. Now, how has your uh, background as a CPA helped you in developing this philosophy?
1: Well, I think what it did was a couple of things because I actually didn't have a lot of financial tools uh, growing up uh, and I didn't have great modeling. And it's not because my parents were horrible people. They just didn't have the skill set. So I'm not blaming here. I'm just it's context. So I was an accountant. I was expected to be this great guy with finance and all that stuff. And I could help other people, um, but I wasn't helping myself. Being able to see what other people were going through, a lot of my tax appointments turned into therapy sessions. And I ended up getting a background. I did do some studying around psychology and all that stuff. So that really helped as well to really inform me and be able to have conversations with people. But the actual accounting practice really helped me see because I'm in the middle of doing people's taxes. Often I would have financial advisors, we'd talk and they'd say, well, I'm so excited for Sally and Billy. They're so on track with everything. And I'd say, no, they're not. What are you talking about? And they would tell their financial advisors what they wanted to hear, but I would actually see what was actually going on and knew that that wasn't true. And so I realized, wow, there's so many of us that have shame or secrets around our finances, and man, if we could just open this up and really let people know they're not alone. Because it doesn't have, matter how many zeros are after that one, it still comes back to self-worth, it still comes back to deserving, it still comes back to gratitude and and our mindset. Okay.
0: What about your other role of being an entertainer and being a comic? How has that shaped your views?
1: Well, I think, you know, for for me, it really was great because I'm in two different worlds. I, there was a part of me, my mom was an artist. I wanted to get into the world of creativity and I also didn't want to be poor. And and so I had this struggle of pushing away the creativity and the artistry uh, because like you got to do the numbers, you got to make the money. And, but what I think it did is it gave me empathy and compassion for people uh, because in the finance financial world, it can sometimes be very seemingly black and white. Two plus two is four, that's it. And, but how do you feel about that? Right. And so as a performer, being able to say the things that I was thinking, and then be able to just go, no, I was kidding. I was kidding. Gave me sort of the freedom to explore things and see where it landed with people. And I just found that a lot of people resonated once they felt comfortable enough to open up.
0: Yeah, uh, and, I, and I, I think this financial literacy. I think one of the things you want to say with it is, there's no problems with with not understanding it. You know, you you will never know everything, so it's good to rely on your advisors and people around you to help you in these situations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it doesn't mean that every advisor you meet is the perfect one for you. You, you have to still trust your instincts. You still need to check things out. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'll have clients come to me and say, could you look at my other CPAs work or could you review what my financial advisor said? And does that make sense to you? So you still want to verify. Right. You can go to these people and still verify and double check to make sure you're you're on track.
0: Exactly. So let's go a little bit more into your book. You know, a book has a lot of things in it. Let's go and explore some of the other aspects of it and how it can help become people become financially literate and help to get over the shame blame game.
1: So a big part of the book is, is, is looking at emotions and then specifically the emotion of fear. And so in the emotions, you know, I go through whether it's being overwhelmed, uh, checking out, uh, being judged. A lot of people, you know. I know for myself, I didn't have the ability to say no when I was younger. I didn't have the skill set because I thought, oh, you got to just agree with everybody. Uh, it wasn't until later I said, oh, wait, I get to say no. Uh, that was important, an important lesson for me that seems obvious to most people. But sometimes, if we don't grow up with those tools or with boundaries, we may not. No, we might have so much fear or have all kinds of emotions. We might feel like we're not deserving. Um, and so going through the different emotions that come up for people uh, is it a really important component. It doesn't mean that they always solve it. So like I still sometimes get angry when I talk to the IRS uh, because I deal with them a lot and I get angry. Uh, what I found is it's better for one of my staff people to get on and talk to the IRS on my behalf because they're not emotionally charged like I am. And so sometimes I find workarounds while I'm still working through my issue. Um, So it doesn't mean I fixed everything and I've done it perfectly, but I'm at least able to say, oh, this is a place where I'm going to get myself in trouble. Um,
0: I can understand that. And and to me, the word fear means false expectations appearing real, because at least 85, 95% of what we fear never really comes true. That really is its an overblown situation where our primitive brain is trying to protect ourselves from the direst consequences. Yet at the same time, uh, we overblow those things to a point that we become incapable of handling them and that becomes a negative situation.
1: Absolutely. One of the biggest fears that a lot of my clients come to me with is, am I going to prison? Right. I didn't file the last two years of tax returns or I think I missed some income that I didn't report. Am I going to prison? And I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of friends that have done prison time for messing up their tax returns. Right. But there's this belief that there's this debtor's prison and that they're throwing people in jail by the you know, by you know, hundreds. On the hour, and and so that's a huge fear. That's not this really just a fear. It it is not happening. Um, But I definitely think fear is whether it's fear of success, fear of not having enough, fear of having too much, um, fear of retiring. Like there's just so many ways that we we self sabotage and take ourselves out uh, emotionally when it comes to our finances.
0: What, what other emotion plays a big role in people not achieving what they'd like?
1: I think that self-worth plays a huge role in this. Uh, there are so many people that don't feel deserving and emotionally they're like, I, I'm not, I'm not deserving. And it's been interesting when I do workshops, I'll say who wants to be wealthy, who wants to be rich and everybody raises their hand. And then I'll say, but who deserves it? Who, and everybody just like, you could see a lot of people, not everybody. There are a lot of people going, I deserve it. Uh, but there's a lot of people like, oh, 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 I'm not enough. And, and so that's where we work to is that, that under voice, that, that current that says, you can't have it. That's the voice I'm interested in, not interested in, not the one that's like, yeah, 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 I want to do it. I want to talk to the voice that's scared.
0: Yeah, I, I, one of my favorite presentations at a seminar I went to was a person brought up a twenty dollar bill and they said, "How many of you find this valuable?" And everybody, of course, stuck up their hands. Then he stamped on it, he made mud on it, he stuck it into a glass of water, he destroyed it, and he said, "Is this still valuable?" And and half the room only stuck up their hands, saying it's as valuable. But it, it's important to realize that that true value does not tarnish despite what you do with it. And that goes with you as well as a person, that your true value shines through despite what happens to you, despite the mud that's thrown on you. Besides besides the point that you're stamped on or or trampled on, your true value is still there.
1: Absolutely. And and maybe another slight spin on that is if you close your eyes and hold a $5 bill and a $100 bill and a $20 bill, they all feel the same. We... Agreed to give value to the twenty and the five and the hundred, and even though they feel exactly the same with your eyes closed
0: yes, yeah, so that that's the true value that we put on them and it's it's important to realize that it's our perceptions that change with time and our perceptions that make things happen absolutely so so are, are there some messages you would like our audience to take away from this uh, from this uh, podcast, Bob?
1: Yeah, for me, the biggest thing, you know, my journey for a long time was I am my accomplishments. My value is in what I do and not who I am. And it was a big learning lesson for me to realize that actually my value is who I am, not what I've accomplished. I still fight against that. uh, But for me, it really came from learning to actually see the abundance in what I do have the ability to take a hot shower, uh, the fact that I can be concerned whether or not my car is going to start, right? A lot of people don't have those privileges or that access to to those kinds of things where I take it for granted. And so for me, really coming from from a place of gratitude of all that I do have helped me to see uh, how abundant I am, whether my relationships are... uh, strong and, I, and, and fruitful. Uh, my, my experiences of traveling have made me wealthy in knowledge and connecting with people that I would have never known. Um, so gratitude. And again, for me, uh, being a little bit humble, I think I was a little bit cocky and I, I, I'm entitled and I can have this. And I, and I definitely think the culture in the U.S. cultivates that for some of us. And to actually step back and, and just really come from a place of being humble and not knowing everything uh, and, and appreciating what I do have. And and really, for me, uh, living a life of service, being out there to help people and pay it forward, because I was fortunate enough to have a lot of people that stepped in and picked me up and took me along for the ride, even when I didn't think I had the capability
0: You know, those are key, key messages there, you know, being grateful, being and knowing your your value, knowing the things in that. And and maybe we can spend just a couple of minutes on how do you have a fantastic life, Bob?
1: So for me, having a fantastic life, uh, one, knowing that I'm waking up in the morning uh, is the start of a fantastic day because I know I'm here and I get one more day to like correct any of the past. For me, it's it's living in the moment, trying to make other people's lives around me a little bit better. If I can bring a smile to somebody's face through humor or an act of kindness and being able to have friends and connect with people that, that are important to me and, and really taking the time out of my day to not just make it about what do I need to accomplish and what are my goals and get my to-do list done But to actually stop in the moment and just really, I think for me, it's really the expressions of gratitude. I'm so grateful to be here. There were times that I didn't want to be here and doing some of the work was not fun. And I went into a lot of this self-reflection, kicking and screaming. Um, But I'm so grateful that I stayed. I'm so grateful that I've done the work. And I'm, you know, I'm just grateful that I get to be here and experience this amazing planet and all that it has to offer. Fantastic. Well,
0: what do you recommend for our listeners to have a fantastic life? What are three steps maybe they can do to have a fantastic life too?
1: I think the first step is actually knowing that you can have it and believing that because I think so many people take themselves out and and don't go forward. The other thing about having a fantastic life, face your fears, find whatever you're afraid of and move right towards it. And, and, and because you will find that you'll actually, once you face it, it wasn't as bad as you thought it was. And we talked about that, but facing your fears and going through it and don't worry about what other people say, step up, step out, let people judge you, let people not rally for you. Trust yourself in knowing that you actually do know what's best for you and that you can have the fantastic life and you deserve to have it regardless of what any other person might say or not say
0: fantastic well ladies and gentlemen i give you bob wheeler bob how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to
1: absolutely so my website is the money nerve that's nerve n-e-r-v-e not nerd moneynerve.com and you can reach me at info at the and we love connecting with people and helping them have the fullest life that they want to have
0: thank you bob for being here today thank you for your time
1: thank you so much